Today's scripture reading comes from Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. I think my mic is on. Is, it, is my mic on? Um, my name is Henry Thompson, and I'm an associate pastor here at the downtown campus. And I preached here a couple times before, and I let y'all know previously that I was from a chocolate church, okay? Uh, a church with mostly African Americans. And in chocolate churches, people typically say amen or talk back to the preacher during the sermon. Y'all with me? Okay, oh, see y'all with me, y'all. I didn't even have to explain. Okay, are y'all with me this morning? Okay. Um, so if y'all can be with me this morning, talk back, that'll be great. And let me just pray before we begin this morning, okay? Uh, Father, I thank you so much uh, just for this opportunity to uh, preach your word this morning, Lord. I pray that you would hide me at the foot of your cross, Lord. I pray for each and every person here, Lord, that you would... Fill them with your spirit, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, and that you would be lifted up and glorified through the preaching of your word this morning, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. My daughter said I didn't care. She said I wasn't there when she was younger. Summer tour buses wasn't enough to show what love is. She said that I did things that a dad doesn't and that she had questions. If I'm a good father, then why all the bad judgment? I'm looking past judgment, about to ask something. Inside, I'm sad, dusting off my pride. I thought I did protect and provide, and I'm a father that's live, and truly I try. But she said, it's, not the, it's the things that you didn't do, not what you did. It hurt her spirit when she saw me with another woman's kid. She peeled, I peeled back and thought to love her, I got to listen. Now love and action is the new vision. She said, Dad, let your actions be your loudest speaker. And now my daughter is now my teacher with love. Now one of my favorite forms of art is hip-hop music. <laughs> and a few weeks ago, I got the opportunity to see one of my favorite hip-hop artists at the Kaufman Center, Common. And y'all, the show was lit, which is a colloquial way of saying it was really, really excellent. 
Now, I know many of you may not know Common, but he is a gifted hip-hop artist from Chicago, and I was so excited to see him in concert this past September. And the topic of his concert was love, because that is the central theme of his new album called Let Love. During the concert, Common performed songs from his new album that I had never heard. And one of my favorite songs that he performed from his new album is called Show Me That You Love. I know many of you were not sure what I was doing at the beginning of the sermon, but I recited some of the lyrics from this song by Common. So no, I don't have any kids or anything, so I'm not a father. Don't want to confuse anybody this morning. <laughs> And in this song, Common is reenacting a conversation between him and his daughter. In this song, his daughter calls him on the phone and confronts him for not loving her as he should have as her father. Common is surprised by this call and shocked that his daughter feels like he wasn't around enough when she was younger. He is surprised that his daughter doubts his love and care. He tries to defend himself by listing off all the things that he did for her. But he eventually realizes that he must humble himself and listen to his daughter. And his daughter calls him to start showing that he loves her again by his actions. His daughter is basically calling him to show her that he loves her. Hence the title, Show Me That You Love. Now I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever had a close friend, a spouse, child, parent, or significant other confront you for your lack of love toward them? Have you ever had a person come to you and exhort you to show them that you love them again? I'm guessing you have had that experience because we live in a broken world where we all struggle with sin. We all fall short of loving those close to us as we should. We say hurtful things. We forget to follow through on promises. We go through the motions and we forget to show our love to those closest to us. Amen? Now go with me here a second. Imagine if Jesus showed up and confronted you for your lack of love for him and his people. What would you say? How would you respond to Jesus in this situation? Well, this is basically what happens in our text this morning. Jesus confronts the church in our text for their lack of love. And through this text, I believe that God will also confront us for our lack of love of love for him and one another. Now, if you've been tracking with us these past few weeks, you know we have begun a new sermon series in the book of Revelation called A Church for the End of the World. Now, we are not going to go through the whole book of Revelation, but we will be walking through seven letters that the Apostle John sends to seven early churches. This morning, we will walk through the first letter to, one, to the first church in Revelation. And in our text this morning, we will see that our church needs love to keep its light. If you only take one thing from this message, I want it to be this. Our church needs love to keep its light. If we do not have love, we will lose our light in a dark world. And Jesus calls us to be a light in the midst of a fallen world. This is why the seven churches in the book of Revelation are referred to as lampstands. Jesus wants his church to be a shining lamp in a dark world. And our passage shows us how we can be a light 
in a fallen and broken world. It shows us how to hold on to the light as a church in the midst of so much darkness. In our text, we will see three things that we must hold on to to keep our light as a church. Three things. In our text, we will see that we must hold on to a person, a practice, and a promise to keep our light in a dark world. A person, a practice, and a promise. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Okay, I need it, I need it, I need it. <laughs> okay. The first thing we see in our text this morning is that we must hold on to the person of Jesus if we're going to be a light in our culture. We must hold on to the person of Jesus. Now let's look back at verse 1 of our text this morning. It reads, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. In this verse, we learn two things. First, we see that this letter is written to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, what is an angel? And why is this this letter written to an angel of the church of Ephesus? Well, angels are spiritual beings that God uses to carry his message to his people. I know we live in a society where it's hard to believe in angels and other supernatural beings. But an angel is used to carry this message to the church of Ephesus through the apostle John who was writing this letter down. And we don't only see who this letter is from in verse 1. We also see who this letter is from. In the first half of the verse, we see that it's, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. And in the second half, we see that this is from the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. From chapter one of Revelation, we know that Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, which represents the seven messengers or angels. And we also know that he is the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands which represent the seven churches. Jesus is basically letting his audience know that these letters to the seven churches are from him. He is also letting his audience know that he knows these seven churches intimately. And because Jesus is intimately involved with his church, he has the authority to affirm and rebuke them. And this is what he does in this letter. Let's look back at verse 2 of our text. It reads, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Jesus begins his letter to the church in Ephesus with an affirmation. Jesus begins by commending the church of Ephesus for their good works. Now, there is a good amount of information written about the church of Ephesus in our Bible. From the book of Acts, we know that the apostle Paul started the church in Ephesus. And from the beginning, the church in Ephesus exuded good works. Now, Jesus doesn't just affirm the church of Ephesus for their good works. He commends them for their toil and patient endurance. The church of Ephesus labored in the work of ministry. They shared their faith and made disciples, and they endured in the midst of a hostile culture. 
See, the city of Ephesus had a temple to the pagan god Artemis. And this temple was named one of the seven wonders of our world. The Christians in Ephesus faced hostility for following Jesus and turning from the false god Artemis. But despite this reality, the church in Ephesus engaged the work of ministry and endured patiently. On top of their good works and patient endurance, Jesus commends the church in Ephesus for holding to sound Christian teaching and beliefs in the midst of false teaching. At the end of verse 2, we see that the church of Ephesus opposes people teaching evil and false beliefs about the Christian faith. They tested these false teachers according to Jesus' teaching and discerned that they were false apostles. We see later in this letter that these false apostles probably belonged to a group that was mixing the Christian faith with pagan practices such as idol sacrifice and sexual immorality. But the church in Ephesus would not fooled by this false teaching. In the midst of false teaching and opposition, they held on to Jesus and his teaching. They practiced good works, they persevered in their faith, and they held to Jesus' truth against all odds. The church of Ephesus held on to Jesus and their broken and dark culture. Now, our church is in a completely different culture than the ancient church in Ephesus. I mean, they did not have high-speed internet in Ephesus. They did not have 24-hour Amazon shipping. (laughs) They did not have airplanes or cars. They did not have $7 lattes with the double shots of espresso. They did not have social media websites like Twitter, thank God. But despite these cultural differences between our culture and the church of Ephesus, Jesus calls us to hold on to him as a church in the 21st century. Jesus calls us to engage in good works, to persevere through opposition, and to hold to true teaching about the Christian faith. If we're going to be a light in our culture, we must hold on to the person of Jesus. Now go with me here a second. I really enjoy Hollywood films, and one of my favorite films of all time is Black Panther. I got I to gotta confess to y'all, I've probably seen this movie like four or five times in theaters. <laughs> and I've never done that before, but I just love that film. And like all good movies, it has its ups and downs. And the most devastating part of the movie for me was when the villain Killmonger let go of King T'Challa, the hero of the story, by tossing him down a huge waterfall. I nearly cried, (laughs) y'all. Killmonger sought to kill King T'Challa, the Black Panther, by throwing him from the waterfall because he wanted to be king. He wanted to call the shots and rule the throne in Wakanda, but he failed, and King T'Challa survived. And he came back to reclaim his throne And Killmonger was destroyed. Sorry for the spoiler alert. (laughs) Today we live in a broken Killmonger culture. And let me explain what I mean by that. We live in a culture where many people have let go go of and thrown away King Jesus. Because they want to be their own king. That's why we have murder, theft, abuse, and corruption in our society. That's why we have strife in our families and at our jobs. We live in a postmodern culture where people want to define truth for themselves. But like King T'Challa, 
King Jesus is going to return to reclaim his throne on earth. And all those who live in rebellion against King Jesus are going to come to ruin like Killmonger. This is what we see further in the book of Revelation. This is why it's so important for us to hold on to Jesus as a church in our culture and to point those who don't know Jesus to our great Savior. I know some of you are wondering, how do we practically hold on to Jesus in our culture? Well, we hold on to Jesus by holding on to his words and his teaching in our Bible. Like the church in Ephesus, we must reject all false teaching and hold to the truth of Jesus. We must hold to the biblical view of marriage. We must hold to the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins and rebellion. We must hold to the truth that all people are made in God's image. It doesn't matter if they're born or unborn. It doesn't matter if they're documented or undocumented. It doesn't matter their ethnicity, gender, or socioeconomic status. In our broken culture, we must hold on to Jesus and his truth. If we lose the person of Jesus, we lose our light as a church in a dark and broken world. This is what we see at the beginning of Jesus' letter to the church of Ephesus. Amen? Amen. Now, this is not all that we see in our text this morning. Secondly, we see that in order to keep our light, we must hold on to the practice of love. This is the second thing we see, that we must hold on to the practice of love. Let's look back at verse 4 of our text this morning. It reads, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The letter to the church of Ephesus starts off good, but in verse 4, the letter takes a turn. In verse 4, Jesus lets the church of Ephesus know that he has an issue with them. Jesus tells this church they have abandoned the love they had at first. Jesus basically says, you do not love like you used to. And commentators debate if Jesus is saying they abandoned their love for him or their love for one another. But scripture does not separate our love from God, for God from our love for one another. This is why Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with all our hearts, minds, and souls and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus does not separate love of God from love of neighbor. So Jesus is letting the church in Ephesus know that they have abandoned their love for God and their love for one another. And Jesus takes this issue in the Ephesian church seriously. This is what we see as we continue in our passage this morning. Let's look back at verse 5 of our text. It reads, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In this verse, Jesus first commands the church of Ephesus, to remember their former love for him and one another that they have fallen away from. Then he commands them to repent, which basically means that he is calling them to turn away from their lovelessness. He then commands them to love the way they did at first. And Jesus ends verse 5 by telling them that if they do not repent, that he is going to take away their lampstand. If they do not repent, Jesus is going to take away their witnessing light and remove 
himself from their presence. Jesus takes this church's lack of love for him and one another so seriously that he is going to remove his presence if they do not repent. Jesus is not playing with the church of Ephesus. Jesus basically says that a church without love is not a church at all. So you have to repent and turn from this great sin. Some of you may be wondering why Jesus takes their lack of love for him and one another so seriously. Well, the Apostle John, who wrote down Revelation, wrote down another book of the Bible, the book of John. And in that book of the Bible, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In these verses, we see that Jesus expects love to be a defining characteristic of the Christian community. Jesus commanded his disciples to show one another the same love that he showed them. Jesus let his disciples know that the world would know they were Christians by the way they love each other. Jesus did not say people would know we were his disciples by who we vote for in political elections. Jesus did not say the world would know we are his disciples by our good theology. Jesus did not say people would know we are his disciples by our stance on issues in our culture. Jesus said they would know we are his disciples by our love for him and one another. This is why Jesus threatens to take away the light of this church. If they do not repent from their lovelessness. See, a church without love is not a church at all. This is why our church needs love to keep its light in our culture. This is why Jesus calls us through this passage this morning to hold on to the practice of love. Amen? Now stay with me here. In high school, I had a love and passion for playing the alto saxophone, which is a fancy way of saying that I was a band geek. And I was such a band nerd that I took my senior photo for high school with my alto saxophone. <laughs> I'm not even going to look at it. <laughs> I was sharp, though. Y'all can't tell me I was sharp. <laughs> Okay, sorry, that wasn't, that wasn't in the sermon, sorry. <laughs> See, I had began playing saxophone in sixth grade, and in high school, I fell in love with playing that instrument. I mean, I was in concert band, jazz band, marching band, pep band. I also spent hours practicing my saxophone every day, which drove my parents crazy. But anyone who knew me well in high school knew I loved saxophone. After high school, I left for college at Indiana University, and I thought my passion for saxophone would continue, but after my first semester at IU, I lost my love for playing saxophone. Now today, I have my saxophone in my apartment, but I have hardly picked it up in the past 10 years. I know it's sad, ain't it? <laughs> but still, I have close friends and family members that encourage me to return to my former love for this instrument. In a higher and holier way, we can lose our passion for Jesus and his people like I lost my passion for playing saxophone. 
We can go through shifts that cause us to lose the love we once had for Jesus and his church. It doesn't matter how long we have been a Christian or how deeply involved we are in church. We can lose our love for God and one another just like the church in our text. This morning, we see that it's not enough for us to have good works and uphold Jesus' teaching. We must also have a vibrant love for God and one another. I don't know about you, but I find this passage convicting. Because many of our Orthodox Protestant churches in America uphold truth and seek to combat false teaching. But do we love? Yes, it's good to have a biblical view on marriage, but are we willing to lovingly walk with a brother or sister struggling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria? Yes, it's good to fight to protect life in the womb, but are we willing to help out a brother or sister struggling to care for their baby? Yes, it's good to uphold the rule of law in our country, but are we willing to walk with an undocumented brother or sister trying to gain legal status? Yes, it's good to have all the right answers to complex theological questions, but do we love Do we truly love God and one another? See, that's my amen right there. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And if I can be honest with you this morning, this question haunts me. I wonder if Jesus came, if he would call us to repent from our lovelessness like he did the church of Ephesus. Because the American church continues to be the most segregated institution in our society, racially and ethnically. And the American church seems to be just as politically, socially, and economically divided as our society, if not more. And I wonder if it's because we have lost our love like the church in Ephesus. I hope not. Because Jesus calls us to hold on to the practice of love because we need love to keep our lights. In our text, we see we need love if we're going to keep our light in this culture. Amen? Amen. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, I get it, Henry. We need to hold to the practice of love. But you may wonder, how do we rekindle our love for God and one another? Now, some of you may wonder, how do we return to the love we had at first? Well, I think we return to our first love by remembering the God who first loved us. In our Bibles, in 1 John 4, 9 through 11, the Apostle John writes under the power of the Holy Spirit, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. These verses highlight the fact that God first loved us by sending his son Jesus to die in our place for our sins. At first, we did not love God, but he loved us. Thus, our love finds its source in the love that God showed us while we were yet rebellious sinners. In light of God's incredible love initiated with us through the gospel, we should love God and one another. God's love in the gospel should compel us to grow our love for him by meditating on scripture, depending on him in prayer, and singing songs of worship to him throughout our week. And on top of that, God's love should compel us to get to know one another at our church 
His love should compel us to invite someone in our congregation out to lunch or over for dinner to hear their story, as many of you have done for me. God's love should compel us to help our growing families with their children, especially when they have more children than arms. Amen. And beyond loving one another here, God's love should drive us to love our neighbor by doing our week well throughout our week, whether paid or unpaid. His love should drive us to share the good news of the gospel with our friends, family members, and co-workers who do not know Jesus. We were created to love God and one another. This is the best life and God's design for us. In light of this truth, Jesus calls his churches, all his churches, including ours, to hold to the practice of love. Now, as we move back to our text, we see that this text does not just call us to hold on to the person of Jesus and to the practice of love. It calls us to hold on to the promise of eternal life. If we're going to be a light, we must hold on to the promise of eternal life. Now let's look back at verse 6 and 7 of our text this morning. It reads, Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I love Jesus. Like, after he rebukes the church of Ephesus for their lack of love and threatens to take away his presence if they don't repent, he gives them a little affirmation again. You know, like, at least y'all don't follow false teaching, you know. And then he commands them to hear the message in the letter sent forth by the Holy Spirit. Jesus lets the church of Ephesus know that this call to turn from their lovelessness and to walk in love toward God and one another is ultimately from the Holy Spirit. And this makes sense because it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of sin and empower us to obey God. Following this command to hear at the beginning of verse 7, Jesus offers a promise to the church of Ephesus. He basically says if they conquer their sin of lovelessness to God and one another, he will give them the right to eat from the tree of life. Now, in our last sermon series, we studied the book of Genesis. And if you were here, you may remember that the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, the first human beings. But God blocked Adam and Eve from eating from the tree of life because they disobeyed God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their disobedience brought sin into the world and God banished them from the garden. And due to their sin, they lost the chance to eat from the tree of life. But now Jesus says to the one who conquers the darkness of lovelessness, he will give the promise of eternal life. When I read this verse, the first question that came to mind is, how do we conquer? This verse led me to wonder, how can we conquer the lovelessness in the church and in our own hearts? And y'all, I found the answer in art. Yes, you heard me right. I found the answer through art. Yeah, amen. (laughs) As many of you know, we have a new art show up in our gallery called Cutting Through the Dark that features artwork from Jocelyn Myers. 
This show featured some really great artwork, and one of my favorite pieces in the show was called More Than a Conqueror. And it features a young girl holding a sword of light that pierces the darkness above her. And, you know, I bought this photo because it kind of looks like my sister a little bit, so I really, <laughs> I decided to buy, like, a print of it. And the title of this art piece is drawn from Romans 8.37, a verse in our Bible. And this verse says, in all things, in all things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. This art piece reminded me that we cannot conquer the darkness of lovelessness by our own strength. It reminded me that we will never conquer and receive the power of eternal life by our own effort. This piece of art reminded me that we can only conquer the darkness through the one who loved us first, Jesus. Through Jesus who loved us, we are more than conquerors. By faith in his life, death, and resurrection, we can conquer the darkness and receive the gift of eternal life. See, Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave on our behalf so we could receive the promise of eternal life. Through Jesus, we can hold to his truth, to the practice of love, and to the promise of eternal life in order to keep our light in the midst of darkness. Amen? Now, toward the end of the Common concert I went to at the Kaufman Center, Common performed one of his classic tracks called The Light. And during the song, Common had us get out our cell phones and he had us turn on our lights in the dark auditorium. And if you were to listen to Common's song, The Light, you would quickly realize that the light he's talking about in this song is his romantic lover. This is why he begins the song with these words. I never knew a love, 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 a love like this gotta be something for me to write this queen I ain't seen you in a minute wrote this letter and finally decided to send it see common metaphorically viewed the love of his life as a light <coughs> and based on this concept our church has the greatest light because we have the greatest lover Jesus Amen. and his love for us was ultimately shown at the cross of Calvary where he died on a rugged cross and shed his blood to forgive our sins and lovelessness. Jesus' love shown to us at the cross gives our church the love we need to be the light in the midst of a dark culture. The light of Jesus' incredible love should empower us by the Holy Spirit to love God and our neighbor to be a light in our world. In our text this morning, we see that our church needs love to keep its light. And in the gospel, we see that Jesus has provided us with more than enough love to keep our light in this culture. This is the truth that our text points us to this morning. And in the Lord's Supper, and in the Lord's Supper, we are pointed to this truth once again. Jesus' broken body and shed blood is a light of love that we remember together as a church through our time of communion. This is why we take communion together as a church family weekly. Now, in Luke 22, verses 19 through 20, it says that Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. In light of Jesus' words, we will take the bread and grape juice as a tangible reminder of his love toward us by his death on the cross for our sins. 